0: Today's scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 18 through 37. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, oh my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shumamite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is bitter and distressed, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of light. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shumamite. So he called her and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Well, last week. Um, As we looked at the first part of this section of Scripture and this encounter with the Shunammite woman and uh, Elisha, last week we learned, hopefully we learned, how favor ain't fair. Amen? Amen? Amen. And when God's blessings come to me, I'm reminded that it is not because I paid my dues. It's not because I have good credit. It's not because I got good grades. It's not because I made the winning shot. No, these things might earn me some type of favor in this world. But in the economy of God, beloved, his pleasure, his favor, and his grace are unmerited. They are unearned. And therefore, his favor is often thought of as unfair, unfair, right? I mean, what did Joseph do, really do, to earn the favor of God? What did David do To earn the favor of God? What did Moses or Solomon do to earn the favor of God? What caused God to look favorably upon these men? Or, even a more important question this morning, what has caused God to look favorably upon you or me this morning? I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I know that I don't have anything that's really impressive in heaven. I feel like the little drummer boy. I have no gifts to bring that are worthy of a king. I have nothing to impress the king of kings. I have nothing to move God. And any favor, beloved, that I experience or am even experiencing this morning, I can say unequivocally, it is undeserved. And, beloved, God's favor in that sense is amazing. It is his prerogative to be present at any moment with his people. Remember what God said to Joshua after the death of Moses? Some of my favorite words in all the Bible. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 15, I think that's verse 5, isn't it? That's verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I had been with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. Beloved, Joshua hadn't done anything to earn the favor of God. Joshua hadn't done anything to earn the presence of God as God had been with Moses. This is the favor of God in his gracious pleasure to be present with his people at any moment and therefore his people be blessed. And yet, beloved, I believe it's important to understand that the favor of God is rooted in the providence of God. Don't disassociate God's favor from his providence. The providence of God is God ordaining and and, and maintaining the worlds he has created. The providence of God is God not only maintaining and ordaining those worlds, but it is God providing and caring and guiding the lives and the cares and the events of the people in this world. And the providence of God, therefore, beloved, is sweet. And at the same time, the providence of God can be bitter. This is why you don't want to disassociate the favor of God from the providence of God, okay? Because the providence of God is sweet, beloved. His, pres- His caring, His ordaining, His guiding our lives, directing our lives is a sweet thing, but at times, that Providence can be a bitter one. Life is filled with both mountaintop and valley experiences. And if favor can be unfair, sometimes Providence can be uneasy. It can be uneasy. It makes us uncomfortable. And the challenge for us, beloved, is to understand that the God who sends the fruitful years is also the God who sends the lean ones. The God who causes the sun to shine is also the God who causes the storms to rage. It is the God who is declared in Job chapter 1, verse 21, is the God who gives and is the God who takes away. Blessed be the providence of God. The giving and the taking is all in the providence of God. And the unfairness of his favor is also the uneasiness of his providence. And that's what we see in our text this morning. That's what we see in our text this morning. As we saw last week, this Shunammite woman, she had everything. I mean, her, her world was rightly ordered. If you had asked her, she would have said she wanted for nothing. In fact, that's what she did say, isn't it? The favor of God was upon her. And not only was it upon her, but he had particularly blessed her with, with a son, an amazing providential sweetness. She had declared that her life was good and God put some whipped cream and a cherry on top and said, how do you like it now? And it was sweet, beloved. Sweet. And then, suddenly, without warning, everything came crashing down. That is the providence of God. That is the providence of God. In God's providence, there is pleasure. But in God's providence, beloved, there is pain. And this is life. This is life. It's the pleasure of providence. There is nothing, there is nothing, beloved, more. Blessed, more comforting, more assuring, and sweet than the presence of God's providential care of his people. And after years, and after years of being unable to to bear a son and being content with the life that God had given her, the man of God came to her and said, in verse 16, as we saw last week, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And notice what she said. She said, no, no, my Lord, O oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. Don't tell me that. Do not tell me that. That is not possible. She was incredulous. And the reason why, beloved, is because oftentimes the sweet providence of God can be incredible, unbelievable. And for her, it was impossible. But that's the favor of God. It's often an incredible providence, highly unlikely, highly unbelievable. This is what it was to Sarah, right? When Sarah... Couldn't have a child. And the angels came to her and told her that she would bear a son. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12, what does, Sarah, why does the Bible say Sarah did? She laughed. Sarah laughed. After I'm worn out? Abraham is old? Shall I have this pleasure? No way. Don't you lie to me. Isn't that what Hannah said in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 18? And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Is this going to be the favor of God upon me? Shall I find favor in his providence? No way. This is impossible. This is incredible. You know what the angel said to Mary at the pronunciation that she would give birth to the Savior? The angel went to her and said, greetings in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Greetings, greetings. You are highly favored. The providence of God Is going to be sweet upon you. For the Lord Himself is with you. Isn't that what the Shunammite woman says? When Elijah comes to her and says, By this time next week, next year, you're going to bear a son. You will have a son holding him in your arms. She looks at Elisha and says, what you talking about, Willis? What you talking about? Don't you lie to me. You lying. You lying. However good God had been to her, beloved, and he had been good. He had been good. But however good he had been to her, suddenly she realized something. She realized that God was even better than that. However good he had been, he was even better than that. He gave her a son. I mean, he gave her the son that she couldn't even ask for. She couldn't even ask for whatever she thought God could or would do for her. Suddenly, he did even more. That's what he does. That's what he promises he'll do. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, right? We all know the verse. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God is more. His grace is more. More than you and I even think this morning. He is more. And he wants his people to be aware of his care. To be cognizant of the reality that his providence is sweet in your life. As the psalmist says in Psalm 23 in verse 1, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He wants his people to know that he is shepherding us every day, every moment. His providence is with us, and it is sweet why the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 that we are to cast our cares upon him. Why? Because God cares for you. How much does he care? More than you can ever think or imagine. However much you think God cares, he cares even more. However much you think he is concerned, he's even more concerned. And, beloved, there is nothing greater, there is nothing greater than seeing the hand of God in your life. This is what God wants for his people. The sweetness of the providence of God is when we actually recognize that his providence is sweet. And the more you recognize the sweetness of his providence, the sweeter the providence gets. She watched, she watched this young boy grow. And every day, every day, he was a visible reminder of the sweetness of God, of the goodness of God. Of the favor of God. In verse 18, it is very short, but it is profound. Said, When the child had grown, he had been with them for a while. And every day, beloved, every day, there is no doubt, every day, the sweetness of God's provision was made aware. And no doubt, he had been a blessing. Every day was a day of thanksgiving. Every day was a day of being amazed by God's grace. Providence had been good to them. We don't know the boy's name. We don't know what she named him. But I have no doubt that the name that she gave him was something that probably reminded her of God's grace perhaps she named him Reuben which means behold a son perhaps she named him Isaiah which means the salvation of God or perhaps she named him Emmanuel which means God with us. I don't know what she named the boy, but I am sure of this, that every day she would look at that boy and she would sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Every day. Every day. No doubt she had that song on repeat. And every time she saw him, she could hear it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And yet, beloved, we also know That the providence of God that is so sweet often turns bitter. There are bitter waters that we at times have to drink in the good providence of God. And as we see in our text, from the height of the pleasure of providence, this woman and her family suddenly experienced the pain of that same providence. As we all know, the change in fortune is often sudden. Sudden, beloved. We all know, we all know how fast cancer can spread. We all, we all know how quickly an aneurysm occur. We all know how suddenly strokes happen. Or accidents, car accidents take place. And we're all left wondering how, how, and 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 why and, and what happened. And in the providence of God, we often experience two things. Two things. The unexpected and the unknown. That's what she does. That's what they experience. That's what we often experience. In the bitter providences of God, the unexpected and the unknown. There's the unexpected. Notice what what it says in verses 19 through 20. And he said to his father, the boy, he goes to his father out in the field, and he says to his father, oh, my hand, my hand, The father said to his servant, Here, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. This young man quickly went from a headache to his deathbed. In a matter of moments, he left his mother going to the field on his own two feet. Moments later, he is returned to his mother, being carried. And moments later, he is dead in her arms. We are not told the cause of death. We don't know, beloved. It's an unknown. Maybe it's a heat stroke. Maybe it's an aneurysm. Who knows? But the point, the point is that it was sudden. The point is that it was unexpected. As most of you know, my mother died uh, Recently. And it was somewhat expected. I mean, she had been ill for quite a few years, and we understood that her days were numbered. And yet it was still a little unsettling, no matter how expected it is. How much more, beloved, when it is totally out of the blue, when it is an unexpected death, uh, the death of a spouse or a child or a grandchild, totally unsettles you, totally shakes the foundations of your life and trust. But not only is this painful providence unexpected, beloved, it also carries with it the unknown. When the unexpected comes, we often ask questions that we don't have the answers to. So much of the providence of God is unknown. And so much of this account, beloved, is unknown. And I think that is the point. I think this is to illustrate how unknown things can be at times. How many people in this account are left in the dark? The boy dies. His father doesn't even know. When she runs to find Elisha, the servant Gehazi comes out to meet her and ask her, what's wrong? Is it your husband? Is it the child? He doesn't know. Then she comes. He comes and tells Elisha as she, as she falls down at his feet in distress. And you know what the Bible says about the man of God, the prophet of God, Elisha. In verse 27, he says, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't even told me. I don't know. I don't know. There is so much, beloved, about the ways of God that we don't know or understand. And because we don't know or understand, some are quickly to jump to the wrong conclusions. When the bitter providences of God come in this life unexpectedly and leave us in the dark, unknowing the ways and the will of God at any moment, then some will jump to the conclusion, one, that God does not care. That he is just some detached deity and that he is unconcerned and unmoved by the affairs in your life. Or they'll jump to the wrong conclusion that God is not good. And they'll suggest to you that because there is evil in the world or because you are going through a difficult time in your life, then that must mean that God is not a good God because a good God would not let bad things happen. Or they'll jump to the worst conclusion of all, and that is that God does not exist. For if he was a good God, he would do something about it. And since he doesn't do anything about it, he must not be good and he must not be God. Listen, beloved, listen to me carefully this morning. The older I get and the longer. That I walk with the Lord, the more and more and more comfortable I am with saying, I don't know. When I was a young buck, I thought I knew everything. I thought I had all the answers. Don't worry, Brother Anthony, that'll pass. The older I get, the more confident I am in knowing that I just don't know. I don't know why this young man died. I don't know why she had to do endure such grief. I don't know why God chose not to reveal his will to Elijah. I don't know. But here's what I do know, beloved. I do know this. I do know that Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. I do know that. I do know that there are things that God has chosen not to reveal to his people. And I do know that that, that there are spiritual wastelands where people are wandering around in the dark because they have tried to figure out the secret things of God. I know that. I know that the secret things belong to the Lord. I also know what Job says in Job 13 and 15, that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I do know that though whatever's happening in my life, that God is a God who can be trusted. That no matter how dark it gets, and beloved, it gets dark sometimes. No matter how difficult it seems, and it is difficult at times. No matter how much my strength wanes, and beloved, I get weak. Yes. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know that. Amen. Amen. And I know this, beloved. What Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17 and 18 says, I do know that there is a reason why no matter what is going on in my life, I come to church every Sunday morning. I do know that no matter what is going on in my life, I desire to still stand in the presence of the Lord with the people of God. Why? Because though the fig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I have reason to rejoice because the Lord has saved me. Trials dark on every hand, the songwriter says. And we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he guides us with his eye and will follow till we die. For we'll understand it better. Where? By and by. By and by, beloved. By and by. And to understand this type of private providence, beloved, listen to me then it takes a patience. I think that's why, that's why we are so often told, just wait on the Lord. God doesn't move in this world like we want. He doesn't move in our lives when we want. Faith is being willing to wait on the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 27 in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. When this woman's son died. The Bible says she got up she put the boy on the bed where the prophet Elisha would sleep and then she went out and she sought the prophet. Now listen beloved, when the Bible says wait on the Lord okay It doesn't mean that you just sit there and you wait. When the Bible says, wait on the Lord, that is an active, passive activity. When you wait on the Lord, that is a participating patience. You want to participate in that patience. You want to work while you are waiting. And so I'm going to wait and yet pray. I'm going to wait and yet serve. I'm going to wait and yet witness. I'm going to wait and yet I'm going to seek. Wait here, son. I'm about to go seek the Lord. And this is what she did. She laid her son down wait, I'm going to seek the Lord. Now listen, that's important. That's important because she wasn't getting busy fixing it herself. That's not what she's doing. She's not getting busy fixing it herself. She's getting busy seeking the Lord. And waiting, she sought out the prophet. And waiting, she called out to the Lord. And in doing this, beloved, she kept her own counsel. She kept her own counsel. She went out and asked for a a horse so that she might make the trip and her husband asked her what's the problem she didn't even tell her husband now I'm not recommending that (laughs) I'm the Bible doesn't recommend that beloved but what we are saying this morning is that she kept her own counsel she didn't tell her husband She didn't tell her servants. And even when she got to where Elisha was, she didn't tell Gehazi. Why? Because, beloved, it is not necessary or even wise to tell everything, beloved. Some things, You need to keep your own counsel, as you are trusting the Lord for these things. Not listen, beloved. Listen to me. Not everyone is wise. Not everyone is discerning. Not everyone in prayer mean can handle your business. And came, beloved. Not everyone is prayerful, and more importantly, beloved, not everyone is kind. And I, I I like to remind my wife, <laughs> sweetheart, you have to be careful who you take into your confidence, because not everyone knows how to be a friend to a pastor's wife. Not everyone, beloved. Some people will use your struggles against you, they will use your struggles to accuse your family. They will use your struggles to accuse the pastor. They will use them to accuse you. Sometimes, some things are just best between you and the Lord. Or at least one or two you know you can trust. And I say this, beloved. Because she didn't even tell her husband. And I don't know the man. We don't know him. He's probably a good man. He's probably a godly man. Obviously, he's a religious man. The text gives us the fact that he's a religious man. For he went to church and Bible study, he knew when they were. She comes to him. She says, I need to go see the prophet. He says, Not Bible study. It's not time for Bible study. There's no prayer meeting. Why do you need to go see the preacher? He knew when Bible study was. He knew when the prayer meeting. He knew the days of the prayer meeting. He was a reasonable man. Why then would she need to seek the prophet right then? Oh, beloved, I get him. But she didn't have time for theological debates. We ain't got time for that right now, honey. Okay? I need to find where the Lord is. She needed to get a word through to the Lord. And she needed to find the one who could get it to him. That's what happens, beloved. If you just wait, wait, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, seek the Lord in the counsels of your own heart, as you wait on Him. What happens when you wait on the Lord? It brings relief. It does it brings relief? God moves in mysterious ways, the songwriter said. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the seas and he rides upon the storm. And the point of the hymn is for us to not put our trust in what you see, but your trust is to be put in God who is able. Trust! His providence will eventually turn good. He who plants his footstep on the sea is he who rides. The storm that is coming in your life, God is riding on it. Or as the disciples found out, Jesus is walking on it. Don't. Put your eyes on the storm. Focus your eyes on Jesus, who's walking on it. And he's coming to you. He's coming to you. Pray and trust his providence, beloved. I I can't promise, I can't promise. Like I said, I don't know. I can't promise I know how it will work out, but I do know that God ultimately has good plans for his people. When she comes, she finds Elisha. She demands that Elisha come back with her. He comes, and when Elijah gets back to the house, the Bible says that he finds the child, and the child is dead on the bed. And he and the mother go into the room, shut the door, and they begin to pray. And after praying, Elijah did a rather strange thing. Verse 34. Then he went up and laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. I know you don't think I'm going to explain that to you this morning. (laughs) Is that what you were hoping? You thought I was going to tell you why his eye had to be on his eye and why he had to give him mouth to mouth, why he had to hold hands. I'm sorry, I don't know. And I'm all right with that. But what I do know, beloved, is God used that For his glory and the good of his family. For notice what happened. In verse 35, Elijah turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stressed out on him once again. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. He sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now, again, beloved, there's a lot of things going on in this text that makes you just like say, hmm. But I do know this much. A seven is an important number in the Bible. There's a number of completion, a number of perfection, a number of fulfillment. The Bible tells us that on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation and he rested and all was good. The Bible tells us that Joshua took seven priests and for seven days marched around Jericho, and on the seventh day, marched around seven times. The Bible tells us that Jesus spoke seven times from the cross, signifying the completion and perfection of his work of salvation. Now, beloved, I don't know exactly why God raised this young man from the dead, and he had to sneeze seven times. But I do know this, dead men don't sneeze. (laughs) Last I checked, dead men don't sneeze, and they definitely not sneezing seven times. And so therefore, beloved, the only conclusion that I can come to is that life had finally come back to the boy. He wasn't dead anymore, but it wasn't just life. It wasn't a half life. It wasn't part life. It was a whole life, complete life. This is the promise of God. This is the sweet promise of God even in the midst of bitter providences. New life is coming. New life is coming. This is the reward of waiting on the Lord, trusting in his will, even in the midst of painful providences. New life is coming. Whole life is coming. Perfected life is coming. This is the life promised to us in Christ Jesus. Whole, complete, abundant life, beloved. That is the salvation that we have been given, beloved. Whole. That is the promise of eternity. Wholeness. Completeness. New life in Christ is not half-measure. It's not half measured. It is not 99%. It is not 3.5 out of 7. It is 7 out of 7. It's 100%. Why? Because 99 and a half won't do. 99 and a half won't do. God's providence never promises partial hope. He's not promising partial redemption. He's not promising partial life. When Christ comes, Christ declares he is making all things, everything, everyone will be made new. Everyone, everything, all things will be made new. And how is he going to do that? I don't know. (laughs) But I do know this, that Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, He who promised is faithful. And he will bring it to pass just as he said he. Beloved, even when you can't see his hand, trust the Lord's heart. He who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so, so good. Marvelous, wonderful, awesome God. Redeemer, Savior, glorious God. We thank you, Father, for the providences that you have brought into our lives. Oh, how sweet they are. We thank you. For however good we say you are, you are even more than that. However amazing your grace is, it's even more than that. We thank you. We also thank you this morning for the bitter providences, Lord. They remind us of our need to trust and to wait on you. So as we wait, Lord, we want to pray. And as we wait, Lord, We want to serve, and as we wait, we want to witness, and we want to recognize that you are God alone in the good times and the bad. You are God alone, and you are greatly to be praised. Thank you. This morning, we give praise through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.